Classic. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Jared, we have our signal. Anybody recognize this? How many military guys? What is it? SOS. Very well done. Three dots, three dashes, three dots. Now, some people think that's an abbreviation for something like save our soul, save our ship or something. But in point of fact, it's just a clear signal that's not easily mistaken for something else. And you hear it just like that, actually a continuous line. Several countries got to, uh, together in 1908 to decide what we were going to use because at that time there were a couple of different things going. If you're a Titanic buff, you know that they used the, the signal CQD until one of the radio operators told the guy on the Morse code, he said, maybe try that new SOS thing, right? And so he did, he got a response. U.S. Navy used um, NC at that time. So then later in history now, when radios and voices took over for Morse code, um, SOS just wasn't going to cut it. So they kind of put their heads together and said, uh, what are we going to do uh, for a distress signal? What are we going to do when uh, we're calling for um, help in times of trouble? So now to illustrate this, we're going to play your favorite game show and mine. Who it is? If any, no, it's not Samuel Morse. And it's not Bob Ross, like my kid guesses every time I show somebody. This is Frederick Stanley Mockford. Um, he was a senior radio operator at London's um, Crichton Airport. And he was given the task to create uh, a verbal signal to let people know that uh, you were in need of help, you were in a desperate situation or a time of trouble. Um, the, like I said, the, the SOS just wasn't cut. So Mockford came up with the idea of using the words Mayday. That's where we get this from. And he said, and additionally, not just say it once, but say it three times to clear up any confusion. Mayday, mayday, mayday. You've seen it in a thousand movies probably and all over the world, right? So that's a verbal form of SOS. So he said, um, this is how we call for help in a, in a given situation. Then after you say mayday, 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 you give some pertinent information, relevant information that your rescuers might need, like the type of craft involved, um, the nature of the emergency, your location, or... Uh, the last known location, like Amelia Earhart famously said, you know, we're not sure exactly where we are, but this is where we were the last we knew. Uh, the current weather going on, remaining fuel, things like that, number of people, and uh, what kind of help you're looking for. So he came up with this in 1923. The United States was pretty quick to adapt it. Um, 1927, it was official, but everybody picked it up pretty much right away, and then they went into some other ideas about it. Now, the interesting fact is Mockford said he got the inspiration for, uh, for Mayday for this from this French word, which I have it on good authority, actually is pronounced Mayday. So it sounds like Mayday, and it's the French word. Anybody speak French in here? There's somebody in the first service that helped me out here. This French word actually means help me. So that's where it came up with, where he came up with it. So that's where Mayday comes from. It's a French word that means help me. Now, in the same fashion, God wrote this book as a Mayday or as an SOS so that we can call out for help when we need it. We can call out to him for help. And so we have... I don't know how many examples. I'm going to say a thousand, but that might be exaggerating just for the effect. We have a lot of verses that, that go into this. I'm going to start with Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Look at what this verse says. It's, I have a hard time not singing this one because I know a song that goes with this. It says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Um, that word unsearchable um, is going to kind of be a key today. So kind of be thinking about these ideas today, along with the, the verses we read earlier. It's a complex word that literally means, I mean, obviously means like a mystery, but it's a mystery 
that protects you and guards you and will rescue you. So I'm going to tell you, God says, I'm going to tell you about your rescue. I'm going to tell you about this great mystery that's going to guard you, that's going to lead you, that's going to protect you. So that leads us to another verse in our, in, in our reality of, of life. Because God doesn't say, you know, I talked about this with our youth group up at Silver Birch. God doesn't pull you out of situations. He equips you. He protects you. He keeps you there, but he, he guards you and protects you. And then, uh, and, you know, we talk about May Day. We talk about SOS. Look at Psalm 18, verse 6. It says, In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. One of the other things I, I stressed up at Silver Birch is that, you know, the Bible, we can kind of split it into uh, different sections, different ideas. One of those ideas is that God gives us commands in the Bible. And when I say that, people think, oh, the Ten Commandments, a bunch of rules that I've got to follow, and that's why I don't like Christianity. But that's not what I'm talking about. God gives us commands like this, like cry out to me, right? What did, what did Jeremiah 33 say? Call to me. That's a command. And then there's promises after that. So there's a book of, of commands, ideas, and then promises that come after that. Call me and I will answer you. What does it say? I called out to the Lord. I prayed to God for help. Look at these promises. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears, right? That distress, that word for uh, Hebrew word, we're in Hebrew, obviously, right now. Uh, that Hebrew word for distress is quite a versatile word. Um, it can mean, uh, my favorite is, a tight spot. Because that's what I used to say to my kids. You know, we'd be wrestling around on the floor and I'd be tickling them and stuff. And I'd say, oh, you're in a tight spot. What are you going to do? You're in a tight spot. So they still use those words today. You know, Dad, I'm in a tight spot. What am I supposed to do? But it can also mean distress. It can also mean um, an enemy, an oppressor, or an adversary. Um, what, what did we just hear a few minutes ago? We have an enemy that prowls around like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? Called out when that lion was trying to devour me. I cried out to the Lord he, I, for help. Heard me, right? My cry reached his ear. And that word distress can also mean simply the word trouble, as it does in Psalm 50, verse 15. And this is a, another, a, a command from God. You know, it's not a Ten Commandment, iron fist, you know, a sledgehammer standing behind you. No, he said, you know, do this. That's the command. Call to me in the day of trouble, Right? I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You call me and that's, look at that. So there's a command, there's a promise. Call upon me in the day of the trouble. We don't always look at those as commands. We look at them as like, oh, like a, a suggestion or something. And God says, no, this is our relationship. You call to me and then I promise I will deliver you, right? I will deliver you back. That's um, kind of the promise, the answer to the promise that we saw back in Jeremiah. Fulfilled, I will deliver you. He doesn't just hear us, he delivers us. He's there for us. That word deliver has more to do with, with being equipped, being armed, um, or being made strong, braced up, along with being saved. Now, like I said earlier, you know, when we pray to God, we expect him to just make the bad stuff go away. Well, you know what? This is the world that we're in. So it's not that easy. It doesn't look like that. But what's he going to do? He's going to equip you. He's going to arm you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to fortify you, brace you up. And yes, he's going to save you. So that word, that word um, delivered, or deliver, or delivered goes right along with the word salvation. We see it differently in the New Testament. We see it differently. We see delivered in the Old Testament or deliver in the Old Testament. Usually then it's, those words are accurately translated uh, in the New Testament as rescue, as in Luke 1, um, 74. Wow, a lot of verses in Luke 1, huh? We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. We've been rescued. That word rescue is a Greek word, krumai. 
Uh, and it means this. It means not only to rescue or deliver, but it literally means to bring to oneself. So God says, you know, not only am I going to equip you, not only am I going to strengthen you, not only am I going to brace you and fortify you, but I'm going to bring you to myself. And I'm going to be there to help you. I'm going to be there to protect you. When we cry out to him, when we give him that SOS or that mayday call is what he's saying here. He says, I'm going to be there for you. And like I said, now rescue, deliver, go back to salvation. It all talks about salvation. Now, we're in the middle of the Easter season. I don't know if you read my newsletter article, but Easter isn't a one-and-done deal. It's not just one Sunday. The Easter season lasts 50 days. We go all the way to Pentecost. That's 50 days. Now, and I compared it to some of the other um, seasons that we see in the church calendar, like Lent, 40 days of Lent. We see four weeks going in from Advent to Christmas, both very important seasons. But Easter, man, 50 days going in. So we're supposed to be celebrating the resurrection. We're supposed to be celebrating our salvation, as if we don't every Sunday. But we're really supposed to be emphasizing it right now. We're really supposed to be concentrating on it right now. So that's what the 50 days of Easter is all about. So we're kind of in the middle of it now, or maybe even a little more towards the beginning of it. we got a long way to go. we got the whole month of May to talk about this before we even get uh, sniff onto, um, uh, onto uh, Pentecost Sunday. Okay, so I want to talk about salvation. And I want to talk about it in a new way that you might not have heard before. Because this amazing book that God gives us, you know, like I keep saying, there's a lot going on in here, but none of it is fluff. None of it wastes our time. None of it is there just for details. God puts those words in there, and he puts these words in there for us to understand him better, for us to grow closer to him, to have a better relationship with him, a better understanding of who he is and how we work. And yes, um, when we were at Silver Birch, we had three or four sessions on, on God's commands and how those promises relate to those commands, right? Not just good suggestions, but salvation now comes into a whole different category. Now, to study this and to look at this and to get a really good feel about it, um, I want to use what we call the law of first occurrence. Where does the word salvation first occur in the Bible, and what state is it in, and how can we learn from it? Because we can examine a lot from just that part of it. The first occurrence is in Genesis 49, verse 18. Not taking anything out of context here, it says, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Uh, We even have an exclamation point there, and that's the New King James Version, so that exclamation point is not put in there lightly, right? Uh, I waited for your salvation, O Lord. Okay, so now, I try to um, convey how, how unique the Hebrew language is. Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament is written in Kone Greek. They're both incredibly um, unique languages that God chose to use for us to read his words in. Um, the Hebrew language, what I've told you before, is what we call a picture language. So the words, there's much fewer words in the Hebrew language than there is in, in the English language, but they have deeper meaning, a deeper understanding, uh, a depth of knowledge to them. So not only do the, do the words have picture meanings, each letter has a picture meaning. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Hopefully you saw that when we were talking about the letter het in the doorway on, on Monday, Thursday. But each letter, now, if you look at the, the, the way that the Hebrew language has evolved, they all started, all the, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew language, uh, and they all started out as actual pictures. So that's why we call it a picture language. Is these, they literally started out as pictures. So you could almost put a letter up, and it would represent what you were talking about. Well, then the way uh, the Hebrew language works is that now these individual letters that have a different understanding, different we call them pictographs, they almost make uh, words into a mini-sentence. 
as it does here, I'm about to show you here. So uh, the, the depth of meaning in, 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 in what we're talking about here is, um, you know, no way some kind of coincidence that just came along. Somebody just rolled some dice and said, oh, you know, that just happened like that. No, God intentionally put his hand on what we're about to talk about and how we're supposed to apply it to our lives, how we're supposed to understand it and get a, a greater depth of understanding to it. So I want to talk about the Hebrew word for salvation. And I'm literally going to spell it out for you. Now, Hebrew reads from right to left. It's not an easy thing to do, but uh, it reads from right to left. So we're going to spell it out here. I'm going to talk about each individual letter that spells out the word salvation. So it starts with the letter Yod. Jared did an amazing job of putting this slide together, so thank you. So again, this is a pictogram. This has some ideas to it. The letter Yod stands for a hand. The original pictograph looks like a hand. But then it evolved a little bit more than that, and it went to... um, the word effort or the word work. So imagine that hand having a tool in it, a hammer or a plow or some farming implement like that. So it, it represents hand, but it really represents work or effort. Okay, so that's the first letter. That's yod. The second letter is shin. Shin kind of actually looks like, when you think about it, it's it depicted teeth, like in a leopard or a, a, you know, one of those big cats. But the word means to destroy, right? So it's certainly teeth, but it really means to destroy, so we have, we have hand, we have to destroy. Now the third letter is the letter Vav. The letter Vav is depicted by, by uh, like nails or a, a peg. And the letter, uh, the letter Vav can stand on its own as a, a word, kind of like our letter A can stand as a, as a letter of a, of a word or it can stand alone in the sentence by itself. Vav can do the same thing. Vav, though, is more like um, a conjunction. Like our word and, it, it depicts nails or pegs. So like when you put uh, two boards together and you put a nail through them, you join them together. That's what a conjunction does. It joins them together. And I got that conjunction junction song in my, going in my head. Anybody with me? Function. Okay. okay. So, right, so it joins these two things together. So it's a, it's a connecting thing, right? So we've got yod, we got hand, we got shin, which is to destroy, and we got vav, which is nails or pegs, or to join something together, to nail something together. Uh, the fourth letter is ayin. Ion uh, means, uh, it kind of helps me understand this because ion, uh, its pictograph is an eye, or it means to see something, to perceive something. And then the fifth letter with it is the letter hey. Hey and ion kind of work together. Um, hey is more like the, wor- the letter or the, uh, the idea of to behold something. So not only to see, to observe, but to behold, to be wowed by something. So going from right to left, you have yod, which is work or effort, hand work, effort. Uh, shin, which means destruction, vav, nail, peg, um, ayin, to see, perceive, hey, you know, behold, come and see this. So now let's look at God's working definition for salvation. And I'm just going to do it like it says up there. I'm just going to go from right to left up there. I'm going to do it just like it says. I'm going to add two simple words to it because I want to add to God's idea. I'm going to say at the beginning of this, salvation is, and I probably should have put a colon in this, but I'm going to do it like this. Listen now. Salvation is earned by my own effort. Now, notice that there's a capital M in the word my. Because this is God talking. This is God saying this. So don't walk out of here thinking salvation is earned by your own effort. That's not the my we're talking about here. Salvation is earned by God's own effort. Everybody understand that? I need some nods because I'm not going on until you guys get that. Because you're not walking out the door having any confusion in this. Salvation is earned by God's own effort. He's saying my own effort. That salvation is earned, right? Yod, by my own effort. With destruction. With nails. And then at the end, 
Come and see for yourself, basically, is what he's saying. Behold, come and see for yourself. This is God's definition of salvation. It's spelled out for us in the Hebrew language. Spelled out for us. He's, he's saying that he obtained salvation. He's presenting it to you. And all that is done with work or effort, right? All that is completed, is accomplished through destruction with nails. And then come and see, come and behold. Jesus, that last part, come see for yourself, Jesus talked about that a lot. He said things like, um, he said, he who has ears, let him hear, right? Jesus uh, said, I use parables. He said, you know, disciples say, why are you always talking in parables? He said, well, because some people see, but they can't perceive. So we're going to use these parables. This, like I said earlier, this incredible book that we have in front of us, it's absolutely amazing. You know, the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew rabbis said that when you looked at words or you looked at a verse, they said it was like a, a, a gem, a, a huge gem in your hand. And they said, and every time you turned it, the light hit it differently and you saw more depth, you saw more understanding, you turned it again and you saw a whole other side that you hadn't realized before and there's more depth, there's more meaning, there's more understanding. But that doesn't mean that this book is some kind of a complicated puzzle that we can't wrap our minds around. No, it's just the opposite. God lays it out there for us to learn, for us to look at, and for us to, again, gain our uh, deeper trust in him and strengthen our faith in who he is. God says, come and see for yourself. Like when some of the disciples went up to, uh, to Nathaniel, right? Jesus, um, well, they went up to Nathaniel and they said, hey, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, does anything good ever come out of Nazareth? And they said, come and see. It's the same words that Jesus used with them like 10 minutes ago. They went and found Jesus. They found the Christ. They found the Messiah, the one that John the Baptist said, stop following me, go follow that guy. And they went up to him and they said, well, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And Jesus said those words, come and see. And so they're the same words that they shared with somebody else. Those are the same words that we should be sharing with other people, with our family, with our friends, who are living in this constant world of, that we live in, um, their constant state of, of sending out a Mayday signal or an SOS signal, we should say, you know what, uh, there's some help. You know, maybe it's not going to take you out of that situation, but you know what, there's some help there that's going strength, to strengthen us, going to fortify us, going to brace us up, and God's going to draw us to himself. So the Hebrew word for salvation is spelled out for us. Yod, Shin, Vav, Ion, Hey. It looks just like that. Thank you, Jared. But we haven't pronounced it yet. But I think we should. The Hebrew word for salvation is pronounced Yeshua. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's the same root word where we get the Hebrew name Joshua. That's Old Testament. The Greek New Testament translates Joshua into Jesus. When Gabriel visits Joseph and says, Mary is going to have a son, he says, you shall name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Because in this baby, there is salvation. So we're naming this baby salvation. The Messiah, the Christ, came to offer you something. 
He says he's going to do it with his own hand. He'll be consumed, destroyed by nails or pegs. And then he says, behold, come and see for yourself. The Son of God, the Son of Man has offered you salvation this day. Brings a whole different understanding and a whole different idea to uh, what Jesus says when he enters Zacchaeus' house. And my apologies if you expected to hear a, a sermon on Zacchaeus this morning. Jesus enters Zacchaeus' house, and in verse 9, chapter 19, he says this. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. That might be a pun, a play on words, because Jesus, salvation, is literally walking into the house, both in name and in person. Gives us new meaning to verses like Isaiah 12, 2, that says, Surely God is my salvation. Or Exodus 15, 2, that says, The Lord has become my salvation. Shakespeare famously asked at one point, he said, what's in a name? Something like, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Don't quote me exactly, but you get the idea. We all have a name. Our name identifies us, maybe defines us, gives us credibility or reputation. But the name of the Lord is a different story. And God spells it out for us. So then when we fast forward to like Acts 12, brings it all together, he says there is salvation, there is Yeshua in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I made a big deal out of that slide a little while ago that we put together that talked about my effort. It's God's effort. We have to understand that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot remove our own sinful nature. And when we come to that, only when we come to that realization, will we sound that distress signal, that mayday, mayday, mayday. Call to me and I will answer you. Call to me in your time of distress. Call to me in your time of that tight spot. And God promises, he says, I will hear you and I will rescue you to myself, is how he says it. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm not taking you out of it, but I'm going to be there in it with you, for you. The name, there's only one name that can bring hope to the hopeless. There's only one name that can heal the brokenhearted like we sang about. There's only one name. Only one name is our salvation and his name is Yeshua. So my question for us is, how different would our lives be? How different would our community be? How different would our world be if we were to build our lives and everything we are we built everything on the name of Yeshua. Because God, God says, that's where I'm going to equip you. That's where I'm going to, to brace you up. That's where I'm going to draw you to myself. And there is salvation in no other name. You picking up what I'm putting down? Can I get a resounding amen? amen. I said a resounding amen. amen. Let's stand, please.